Judges 6, verse 23 to 40, and looking again at this issue, the Lord is peace, and how it pertains from Gideon's life to us. So hear the word of God. Verse 23, then the Lord said to him, peace be with you, do not fear, you shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace. To this day, it is still in Ophrah of the Abazarites. Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal, excuse me, that your father has, and cut down the wooden image that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock, in the proper arrangement, and take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with wood on the image which you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was the altar of Baal torn down, and the wooden image that was beside it was cut down, and the second bull was being offered on the altar which had been built. So they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And when they had inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the city said to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die, because he has torn down the altar of Baal, and because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. But Joash said to all those who stood against him, Would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him plead for himself because his altar has been torn down. Therefore, on that day, he called him Jerubbaal, saying, Let Baal plead against him, because he has torn down his altar. Then all the Midianites and Amalekites, the people of the east, gathered together, and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, then he blew the trumpet, and the Abazarites gathered behind him, and he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh who were gathered behind him, who also gathered behind him. He also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali, and they came up to meet them. So Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, Look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece, 
Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but the word of our God shall never pass away. And may he bring his blessing as we hear it tonight. You know, Gideon, I think, is one of the remarkable characters of the book of Judges that God determined and utilized to serve his kingdom. And even more, uh, one of these men who was a judge whom God was pleased to use to signify to Israel in the Old Testament the glory and the work of Jesus Christ. He is such a man who is used by God to be a type of Christ, one whom God had raised up to deliver Israel from her sinful and evil idolatry. And that's the thing to always bear in mind when you hear that refrain every time, and Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord again. What is that evil? It's idolatry. Open, rampant, visible idolatry. And we see that here, even in Gideon's own household. His father had set up uh, an altar of Baal and a wooden image that was beside it. And it became the place and the oracle, if you will, by which even the men of the city in which they lived in utilized that. It became part of their life as God's people. I think today a big idol is existing in many, many places within Christ's church in North America. I've talked to a few already today, but does anyone here know what is happening tonight that has taken a good deal of God's people away from worship? You know, the Super Bowl. I read of an account this morning of one Reformed and Presbyterian denomination. Uh, sorry, Presbyterian and Reformed Church. I won't say what denomination it is because we're a bit more public here. But they sent out a tweet to their members telling them that tonight, instead of gathering at our church, we're gathering at Brewster's Brewery. And you all can come and join us there. We've reserved this space so that we can watch the Super Bowl. Just be careful if you're over 21 uh, if you're under 21, you're not allowed to drink. And those of you who do come, make sure you don't drink and drive. That's something. Idolatry. And the issue of idolatry in the church is still rampant. It comes in so many different forms. And what idolatry basically is, is giving the worship of God to another. And it isn't something that we just look outside of the world. We can expect that of the world. They who have turned away from God, the, the one who has created them, and they worship and serve the creature rather than God who is blessed forever. Paul says, that's the world, and that's the world that's under his judgment. What God truly, truly hates is when his people, whom he has delivered 
whom he has given his son up for. Turn away from him and worship and would rather worship other things than God himself. It is an evil. And it's probably more evil than what the average Christian thinks it to be. Gideon has idolatry within his own house. And even after he performs that act of deliverance and then becomes the judge of Israel and his children would take over from him, even after this, Gideon gets caught up in idolatry again. And he takes an ephod and sets it up within his home and uses that. You want to know how patient God is with his people? Read Judges. <laughs> and then go to Hebrews 11 and read Hebrews 11.32 and see how many of those men, how many of those judges are accounted as great men of faith. <laughs> it is very weak faith, isn't it? Now, I say all of that to encourage you, my dear people. Gideon himself is a very weak man in his faith. And yet, the Lord raised him up to do a work for his kingdom. But the Lord took this weak man of faith and had to reform his life. And that's what you're reading of here in chapter 6. God putting Gideon to the test and revealing, as, as we heard last week in the first message on this chapter, he knows that Gideon needs to understand where his strength comes from. And his strength comes from the Lord who is peace to him. Gideon himself is conflicted with God. And we, we heard that last week, uh, the conflict that he was having and how God could say, Gideon, uh, the Lord is with you. And he says, if the Lord is really with me, then why are we suffering and struggling as a people? We're God's people. Why aren't we doing better in this, in this world, in this life? And, and Gideon wants to test if God is with him. And, and he offers an offering to God. And through that test, Gideon's conscience and Gideon's soul is not consoled with peace, but rather he becomes even more terrified in verse 22 because he understood he was with God in the presence of God. And if the Lord is with him, he's now being awakened to his own sinfulness and he needs to understand the peace of God in his own life before he can go out and serve God. As much as Gideon and Israel were asking for relief from their sufferings, God knew in his infinite wisdom that they needed something more than relief. They needed to be aware of their own sinfulness and he displays his holiness to Gideon in order to confront him and bring him low and to raise him up in that peace of God. And that's what you saw happening in those first 23 verses. God establishing the gospel in Gideon's own heart. 
where he was afraid of death, having seen the Lord face to face. God comes and speaks peace to him and tells him, you shall not die. What wonderful words for a sinner to hear. And, and in those ways you can see in, in measure and in shadow that gospel of Christ that comes and meets us in our sinfulness with peace, with forgiveness, with restoration, with renewal in God's holiness. The Lord is peace. Gideon needed that peace to serve. And in the, those ways, as, as a conflicted judge, we see Gideon revealing that same common conflict that, that we can have in our own life when we think of suffering and trials and pain and affliction and all those things. It's often peace that is absent from us where we do not enjoy the abiding presence of God in that justifying love through Christ. That conflict we have in our struggles with suffering is only resolved when when that revelation is brought to your heart, that knowledge that the Lord is your peace. Peace with God through Jesus Christ. Well, in the remainder of this text, Gideon has a couple other things that have to be dealt with. And again, it comes under that umbrella, the Lord is peace. And in in verses 25 down to verse 32, we see his timidity needing to be challenged. If he's going to be a judge of Israel, then he needs to understand the depth of the Lord as his peace. Here in these verses, Gideon is timid. And timid, meaning he is afraid of men. In fact, he he has a fear of men that is interrupting his ability to serve God. God has called Gideon to service, to rely upon him for that strength that he needs to go and do an incredible task here. And that is to face that great army of the uh, Midianites and the Malachites and the people of the east. We're going to see in the next chapter, that's 140,000 people that he has to come and deliver Israel from. And here, Gideon is not at all at peace with that. And part of the problem is, is that he's still dealing with the issue of idolatry within his own life and home. He needs to have his faith tried. And tried to that point where he is learning to get rid of the idols that consume his attention and so he's told by the Lord to come and tear down his father's altar to reform his own ways to confront the idolatry that is right at his very doorstep I wonder 
if you were to examine your own hearts, if you could see as clearly what idols have indeed uh, abided within your, your very soul. And one of the easiest ways to test that comes to that point of worship and service to God. And what fear you may have in worship and serving of God, fear of men that needs to to be conquered in your life. That's what Gideon is afraid of. When you get down to verse 27, it becomes clear. He knows it's wrong to have that altar of Baal and that wooden image within uh, his home and a part of his a part of his life, and it needs to be torn down. And, and you can see Gideon wants to wants to do that, but he he's afraid. He feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day. And he did it by night. I mean, he does obey. But, but he's still very fearful. And how is this man going to serve God in the greater duty and job that he has before him if he's unable to do these small things within his own life and household? And so God is coming again to test and and to motivate Gideon. I think it's it's a very clear thing in our own lives that when we are unaware of those things that are, are disrupting our communion and fellowship and worship and service of God, that God is the one who will come and deal with those things that are interfering with it. And moving us into those uh, more challenging situations. We have to make those choices. Because you see here, this is still flowing from verses 23 and 24, where God is striving to, to bring His peace into the life of His servant. And again, it's revealing to us that one of the greatest hindrances to abiding in peace with God is idolatry that that consumes our soul. And so the Lord comes and he moves moves Gideon to, to tear down this altar. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning and saw that it had been torn down and that there was a burnt offering on it, they understood. They understood something, something big was happening, but, but they, they did not appreciate this change that was happening in their midst. They're ready to execute Gideon for defiling Baal's altar. Doesn't that sound familiar? Doesn't it sound familiar that compromises that God's people can make with worldly things and be upset when they are challenged about those things that contradict worship and service to God. Isn't it interesting 
that in order to deal with Gideon's fear of men and in order to prepare him for greater service, that God brings more turmoil into Gideon's life to test and prove that he is with him. And here his father comes and defends Gideon and brings a testimony to the powerless nature of Baal, even calling for the death of those who would contend for the honor of Baal. Isn't that ironic? Because this is the very man who had the altar set up within his house. Again, the dangers, the dangers of abiding and possessing peace with God come not from our trials. They come not from the things that we have to endure from the hand of God's providence. What is it that disrupts our peace with God? Abiding and possessing that. It is, as we see even from this text, pragmatism, compromise, syncretism of the world and the church. We can think that we are making peace with the world But, my friends, the exact opposite is so. Because in making peace with the world, we are breaking peace with God. Any man who loves the things of this world, how can the love of the Father abide in him? And there's the challenge. The fear of men. And compromise to that fear. Never Brings peace. Gideon had to learn that. And in his course of learning that, the Father, op- I mean, uh, our Heavenly Father opened up Gideon's father to that truth. And he has his own defender with him now. The reality of God's peace in our lives is actually more abundantly known when we confront the idolatry that exists within our lives or within our church and it's removed. My friends, it is this peace with our God that is the essential peace that the church needs to seek. Think of that. With that beatitude, blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called the sons of God. And the last circumstance that we see here in dealing with this whole matter of peace and Gideon again needing to be at peace within himself is when God deals very much pointedly with the weakness of his faith. And you see that in verses 36 to 40. What is interesting here is this is after the spirit of the Lord has come upon Gideon. This is after he blows the trumpet and gathers and assembles people from his own clan and from Manasseh and and Asher and Zebulun and Naphtali. We're going to see that's about 32,000 men that he gathers to go up against 140,000 men. But even with all of this, we see the weakness of his faith coming out. And Gideon needs another sign. 
His faith to serve God is, is weak. And do you not uh, ever find that in your own heart? You, you want to bear that witness of Christ to your unbelieving friend, but, but fear and weakness take over. And you say nothing. It's like Peter in, in Matthew 14, when they see Jesus walking across the water the Sea of Galilee, uh, and they're in the boat struggling to get across, and they're fearing uh, the big waves coming up and rolling over. And, and they see Jesus coming, and they think he's a ghost. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm trying to always envision Jesus walking on the water when the waves are going like this. And how is he doing that? And how is he not see, sinking? But I'm also there wondering, how can his disciples look at that and say, it's a ghost? (laughs) And then Jesus assuring them and saying to them very pointedly, do not be afraid. Be of good cheer. It is I. (laughs) And you remember what Peter said, Lord, if it is you, Command me to come out to you on the water. It's very similar to Gideon. If you are raising me up to save Israel, I need to know for sure. And here's a test. Remember Peter got out of the boat and he took a couple steps. Always wonder how far he got before he started sinking. And he starts to sink. And he cries out, Lord, save me. And in an instant, Jesus is there lifting him back into the boat. Can you imagine? Just seeing that. These are deep boats, you know. So it isn't just that Jesus pushed him back into the boat. He put him in the boat. Imagine all of that. But what what were Jesus' words to his disciples? After all of that. Again, that, that recognition. Oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? And again, this is a, one of those other enemies to the peace of God. Abiding and possessing the peace of God. It's not... The wind and the waves of of life. It's not the storms that we find ourselves in that are the enemy of our faith. Uh, Sorry, the enemy of that peace. It's our faith. Our trust in God. Now I know a lot of Christians look at this section of chapter 6 and Gideon and uh, this fleece testing uh, thing and, and, and they use this as, as something in their own lives. They call it the fleece test to gain direction amongst choices that must be made in faith. I don't know if you've ever heard anyone say that. You know, I had to do a fleece test, if you will. I asked God, if you want me to go here, then make a way of uh, opening doors or shutting doors so that I know to go in this direction. But if it's over here, then will you make this happen in my life for this 
purpose. And they'll say, that's what Gideon did. No, that's not what Gideon did. This wasn't a test uh, to decide what direction or what choice I need to make in faith. It was Gideon in the weakness of his faith saying, God, I'm not sure I'm the man to do what you wanted me to do. Please give me a sign that you are with me. That's very different, isn't it? Than saying, God is, I'm using this as a way to understand uh, what choice I must make in faith. This is weak faith. Doubting faith. And what this demonstrates again for us, it demonstrates the patient, condescending love of our Lord to strengthen the faith of his servant to do what he knew was the will of God. Gideon was not sure what God wanted him to do. He was very sure what God wanted him to do. I want you to go and defeat that army that is now ready to fight against my people. He knew in the weakness of faith, doubting, it disrupted that peace that was to be his to walk in as he was doing the will of God. And I would say to you, my dear friends, you know the will of God in many things for, for your life. You know it's the will of God to bear witness when the opportunity arises. You know it's the will of God for you to worship and serve Him in whatever vocation you find yourself in. You know much about the will of God that when sufferings and trials meet you in life, you know what God is using them for. He's using them to strengthen your faith to test your faith that you can be full of joy. You know all of these things. So the problem isn't there. The problem is with our doubts and our weaknesses to go and do what God has called us to do. And there again, we need the peace of God. The Lord is peace. And did you notice how long-suffering and patient God was to condescend to Gideon to strengthen the faith of his servant so that Gideon would do what he knew was the will of God? This is a simple little thing for God to do. Yeah, I'll make the fleece wet tonight, the dry ground. Got a bowl full of water out of it. Don't be angry with me. Let, me. let me just test once more. I really need to be sure. And you see, that, that I think is the proper understanding of this. Gideon was praying to God. Help my unbelief. Help me to trust you. You heard it this morning. But I say it again. Isaiah 26.3 The Lord will keep him in perfect peace 
whose mind is stayed upon the Lord, for they trust in you. And you see, it's that faith that needs to be strengthened. And the Lord who is peace is the Lord who comes to strengthen that faith in him, even in this weak faith judge who needed test after test, sign after sign. My friend, the Lord who is peace is the Lord who brings that same strength to your faith so that you can be strong in the Lord, especially when the odds seem so overwhelming in your life. And what we learn from from Gideon here is we learn how we ought to pray to our God in those times, like that man whose son was possessed by the demon and brought him to uh, the disciples to be healed, but none of them could heal them. And Jesus comes, and what does he say? Oh, faithless, wicked generation, bring the child to me. And when the child is brought to him, what does the father say, say to him? What does Jesus say to the father? He says to him, do, do you believe? And he says, yes, I believe. Help my unbelief, my friend. I think, my friends, that, that's the prayer that we are being taught here to make. It's again a sign of what idolatry does in our lives. It robs us of trust in the Lord, which robs us of peace with our God. What we learn from the sign of the fleece is we learn to pray to God, help me to walk by faith so that your peace would fill me, that I would do what I know is the will of God. And you see, the Lord came here I know there's more with Gideon as we go along, but the Lord came here and met Gideon in this to to help him in this way. He brings his peace that calms this troubled heart of his servant. Do you know this God of peace at work in your hearts? Do you know that peace of the Lord that calms your troubled heart? Are you conflicted with God? Are you timid of men? Do you see the weakness of your faith? My friends, these are the conflicts that hinder the peace of God in our lives. Put yourself before God. Pray. Pray for the Lord to remove your doubts. And weaknesses, trials will come to do that. Pray for the Lord to remove your timidity of men. Hardships will come to do that. Pray to the Lord to remove your conflicted thoughts about God. Suffering is going to be part of that. But my friends, in all those ways, what God is doing is dealing with idolatry that lingers within your heart to remove that hindrance to abiding and possessing his peace which he longs to fill you with. May you hear God's word to that end.
that you be filled with us. Let us pray.